The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're, today we're looking at verses 38 through 42. Uh, and as you know, we uh, dismiss our kids now. <laughs> it's totally me just remembering to do that when I look at the screen. Uh, children, thank you for worshiping with us. Head out to your classes. As you know, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of five discourses in the Gospel of Matthew. So uh, Jesus has gathered his disciples at his feet. He's sitting down on a mountain, and he's talking to them about what it means to be a disciple, what it looks like, how his disciples should act and live, how they should go and make disciples. And so we are gathered around the feet of Jesus, looking at his teachings, uh, learning what it's like to be disciples. Um, What's What's the main thing that we've said is the main point every week. The, there's the one main application of every point that Jesus is making. What is that main idea about, about our lives? It, boom, drop the mic, walk away. Good job. Unless your righteousness exceeds... The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, who were the scribes and Pharisees? They were the most religious, righteous, self-righteous people of their day. And so Jesus is telling you, if you're here today, Jesus is telling me, he's telling you, you can't be righteous enough on your own because the most righteous person ever who walked this planet, other than Jesus, fell short. You can't make yourself right with God by your actions. And so by seeing that, you should say, well, then what in the world do I do? And Jesus says, well, I have good news. I'll give you my righteousness. We can have credit for Jesus' righteousness by faith in God's word concerning Jesus. And he says, I declare you righteous. Over time, I'll make you more righteous. When I come again, I'll finish it, and you will be perfectly righteous, living with me forever. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's the main point. I want to be careful to remind us that each week, because what we don't want to do is make the same mistake that the scribes and Pharisees are making. We don't want to turn these teachings into uh, self-righteousness. And so we have to continue to remind ourselves of the gospel of grace. But once we've experienced the righteousness that is a gift... He fills us with a new heart, his spirit, born again. There's all the different terms to refer to it, but he changes us from the inside out. So we start to live with the new heart. We start to live differently. And so today he is, adjust, he is coming to this uh, phrase that, that you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so what Jesus is doing, he's correcting the scribes and Pharisees' interpretation of the Old Testament because they made it an outward thing. Just if his behavior was good, we're good. Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't murder. And they were like, yeah, good. I hadn't, I hadn't axe murdered anybody. I'm good with God. And Jesus says, no, if you're angry in your heart, that breaks this command because you wish you could murder somebody. And so he's explaining the heart level of these commands. They said, you know, oh, I, I had, he said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. They're like, well, I'm good. I haven't physically slept with another woman. And he says, yeah, but your heart's filled with lust. That's not my will. You fall short. And so he keeps going to the heart and showing us how our hearts are bad. And so all of us, I'm not going to make you do it. I did it for three weeks, made you raise your hand and publicly confess sin, kind of, kind of, 
tricked you into that accidentally. But all of us should raise your hand and say, look, I've got sin in my heart. Every one of us. And I need grace. And that's what we should turn to trust in Christ. And God will give us credit for Christ's righteousness instead of our own. He fills with the Spirit and says, now, live differently because of that. Today, he's addressing another issue where the scribes were saying an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and he's going to address that and correct it. So, but before we do, I want to I see where you are, see how Pharisaic you are, and I am. When you hear that phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which of these two illustrations do you think of when you hear it? Do you think of someone saying, boy, I'm going to get revenge because an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the Bible says get even. Or do you think, oh, I, I, we need to be careful and, and, and be, be fair. So an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Which one do you think of? Now raise your hand if you think that you or your best friend, because you're perfect, your friend would identify with getting revenge under the name of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Raise your hand. Okay, slow honesty is coming. Okay, how many think it's just, no, I would quote that to say that I need to not get revenge. That's what I, okay, we got one saint. We got one, we got one saint in the room. The rest of us aren't liars. No, I'm kidding, Nancy. I'm kidding. And so we still carry the same interpretation that the scribes and Pharisees carried. When, when I was growing up, I don't know why these verses keep bringing me back to my childhood and the abuse that my brother and I gave to us, but just like when he said, don't swear, just tell the truth, we always had to say, uh, trust me, because we lied so much that promise and swear meant nothing. So we came up with, trust me meant I'm really telling the truth. Well, here, I think of eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. My brothers, anytime we walked by each other, if my brother walked behind me when I was watching TV, I, just subconsciously, I would... I would, I would duck because I knew he was about to slap me, punch me, hit me, kick me, something. And we did that to each other. It's funny how in every time I tell stories about our family, I was the saint and they were the sinner. But that's the way it was, children. Remember that. So, but my brothers would punch me and I'd punch them. But we always had this unspoken system of justice. If you hit me once, I will hit you back. And it's fair. And it's right. And it's good in the name of God. And the Bible says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you hit me, I get to hit you back. And so if I accidentally frogged him, y'all know what a frog is, right? That means I hit the muscle just right, it whelps up, and it hurts. It, I, I was like, oh, I am in big trouble because I know it is right for him to be able to hit me back once. And he did not just going to hit me back equal. He is going to hit me with every ounce of his strength, and it will hurt, but I deserved it because it is just. That's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were taking this verse, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and saying, that means that God has given me the right to get even, and I'm going to get as even as I possibly can under the name of God's law, which is really, I am going to exact revenge. I am going to not forgive. I am going to harbor anger and bitterness. And I am going to get even because God says eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And so that's the context in which Jesus arrives on the scene. Now, where in the world are we getting this eye for an eye, tooth for tooth? To understand what Jesus meant when he says what he says is first let's understand what the Bible meant when God gave us that, that scripture. So where do we get this eye for an eye, tooth for tooth? Go back to Exodus chapter 21, verse 22. Exodus 21, 22 is where this quote comes from. It's when God is giving his law to the nation of Israel. 
He's telling them, this is how you establish a society, a nation, a just nation. These are the laws under which you shall live. So it's instructions to the nation of Israel on how to live as a just nation. Notice what he says. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, you're going, what in the world is this? This is a case law. This is an example of here's how justice shall be lived out in my people. And so it's a a case law. When men strive together to hit a pregnant woman so that her child came out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. So this is how your judges should handle it. That one who hits her shall be fined as the woman's husband shall impose the fine on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. So this is a legal system they're establishing is if this happens, then this would happen. The judge should establish a fine. In verse 23... But if the, if the person, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What's the point? I like to do this each week because it shows you that if this is not complicated. We know what it meant. What's the point here? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, stripe for stripe, life for life. Yeah, yeah. The punishment shall fit the crime. If someone hurts you this much, you don't get to go this far. So we understand there's a system of equitable justice. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth was restricting this idea of revenge and retaliation. And, and, And think about how different this would make the nation of Israel and the surrounding nations that were probably more uh, tribal and more uncivilized. In a, in a situation where someone's hand's cut off, the next person's going to come along. They're not cutting the hand off. They're cutting the head off. And then their family's going to come take revenge on them. And then you're in all-out warfare. And in the middle of that type of behavior among the nations, Jesus says, that's not the way it's going to be with my people. My people are going to live by laws that establish equal justice that deals with a crime but does it fairly. And in fact, there's a whole lot of biblical instruction that describes a whole lot more how this should be carried out. And you'll hear as I walk through some of this, our own system of justice in our country that is built on this, that there was to be a city of refuge, which if someone killed somebody, they were to flee to the city of refuge and that provide a safe place for them where you could not go after them while the situation was being determined what happened here. And then the Bible says that the decision should be made on the witness of two or three eyewitnesses that saw this, that are unbiased, that tell the truth and say, this is what happened. And the judges determine, yes, this was intentional or not intentional. If it was not intentional, this is the crime. If it's intentional, this is the crime. This is exactly what's going on in our laws. Our judicial system tries to do something like this. And so God is a just God, and God has given instructions to the judges, to the nation, to the government on how to execute justice. And the idea behind it is that it is not to be a system of revenge. It is to be a system of just, equitable punishment that is fair, but punishment nonetheless. Of crime. In fact, if we look at other scriptures, we can see the God behind these laws. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, vengeance is mine. So the, God says vengeance is his. He is the only one who has the right to get vengeance. But we know from the scriptures that God gave his people governing authorities who can carry out wrath upon evildoers under his authority. 
And so the God who has all authority to execute judgment and vengeance upon evil has given governing authorities a level of of permission to execute judgment. It should be equitable and based on a fair system, but evil should be punished. But in none of that do we find personal privilege to execute what we determine to be equitable judgment and especially not revenge. Our relationships as Jesus' disciples are to be in the context of love and not justice. As individuals, when I relate to someone, God, as a disciple of Jesus, I am told I should live by love, and we're going to see that. So in the context of the immediate context, Jesus is is addressing what the scribes and Pharisees are doing. And they are saying, let me get revenge in the name of eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And Jesus says, that's that's not at all what was the intent of those verses. The intent of those verses was to stop revenge. It was God giving the nation the right to execute equitable justice. And these scribes and Pharisees are doing exactly what we do. We take the word of God and we twist it to make it mean what I want it to mean so I can do what I want to do. And when I want to get revenge, I'm going to quote that verse out of context, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And Jesus says, I'm not going to, deal, I'm not going to allow that. So now that we know what, Jesus, what the word of God meant when that was being said, what does Jesus say? As usual, Jesus corrects their interpretation, and he gives a countercultural response. And he says in verse 39, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now we got to carefully study what this means in its context because many people have taken this and made it an argument for complete pacifism in the name of Jesus. And what they do is they kind of divide the Bible into two halves And they say the Old Testament looked much different than the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you can see the laws, man. It was was hardcore. Execute, uh, stone them at the gate and all this. But Jesus is a man of grace. And now we live under grace. And so we don't have the right to to be in a military. We don't have the right to, to support police. We don't have the right to be in government. Because those are all institutions that are opposing evil. And that's not what Jesus is saying. They would even teach the extreme pacifists would teach that you should never oppose evil. And we're going to see today these these verses that seem to support them. And they would say, see, if someone hits you, you can't hit them back. If some you can't defend yourself. If you walk upon someone being mugged, you cannot oppose evil. You just have to trust. It's all going to work out. That's not what Jesus is teaching. So let's see if we can understand why. First of all, we understand what we've already said from the bigger picture. God himself opposes evil. God says, I will oppose evil. I will execute justice. I will get vengeance. He says, I expect the government. And in Romans, we we see that Paul says that the the governing rulers, governing authorities are a gift from God to to execute God's wrath against evildoers. And so even in the worst forms of government. It's better than complete anarchy where there is no government. God is saying government is my idea even when it's carried out poorly by sinners, but it's my idea to restrain evil. 
That's what Paul teaches in Romans 13, 1 through 7. So clearly, any rational reader of the Bible knows the Bible itself is not going to completely contradict itself. Jesus is not going to contradict what he says at different places. So we have to say, well, then what is he meaning by this? And that's understood by looking at the context. And the context is Jesus is reacting to abuse of the scriptures. So where they were saying, it's okay to take revenge... It's okay to have a heart of anger and bitterness and and try to get even. It's okay to withhold forgiveness and and not give grace. Jesus is saying, no, stop resisting the evil like that. And so let's look at what Jesus says and try to understand what he means. In these verses, he gives four illustrations of evil that someone has done to you. That's important to keep in mind because at the end, he talks about the beggar and the borrower. He's talking about illustrations of evil. So this is an evil beggar, evil borrower. Let's start with verse 39. First illustration, I would say this is the person who insults you. Verse 39, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Slapping on the face with the back of the hand was considered a terrible insult. In fact, the it was, you could be liable in court for doing that, and you could be fined up to more than a, a one year's annual wages is how serious of an offense it was to insult someone like that with the back of the hand. And so in their system of justice, they had every right to sue, to take them to court, to get even. And Jesus says, if someone slaps you with one hand, give them the other cheek and let them do it again. In the context of all that we just said, Jesus is not saying you can never defend yourself. He's not saying that. He's not saying just sit there and let someone beat the mess out of you because Jesus is about love. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying, though, be willing to give grace instead of taking revenge. Be willing to sacrifice your rights for the glory of God to extend grace and forgiveness to bring God glory and perhaps they might come to know the grace and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. When someone insults you, doesn't it just enrage you? I mean, you have every right to be upset. It's wrong to be insulting people. It's wrong to be insulted. It is sin and you have every right to call sin, sin. But what Jesus is saying, what do you do when someone sins against you like that? Do you just justify your rage, your bitterness, and your anger, and you say, well, eye for an eye, tooth for an tooth. You insulted me, I'm going to insult them back. They cut me down, I'm going to cut them down. Jesus says, no, that's not what that meant. Jesus says, what I say to you, don't resist them. Instead of taking revenge, give them grace. Can you do that? Do you have the new heart? Do you have the spirit of God that softens your heart? Have you experienced God's forgiveness, God's grace, when you assaulted him, that you are able to give grace instead of taking revenge? Number two, second illustration. I call this the person who falsely accuses you. Remember, these are examples of evil, illustrations of evil. In verse 40, he says, If anyone would sue you, And take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So this is a false lawsuit. This is a lawsuit that is evil. Someone has said, I'm suing you. I'm going to take everything you got. 
And that's what the, the tunic was, was basically your underclothes, your main, everything you got. And then over that, they wore a cloak, which was like this coat that, that apparently was very, very valuable, very uh, important in that society. In Exodus 22, 26, Israel was told, if you ever take a neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you've got to return it before the sun goes down, for that's the only covering they have, and the cloak is for the body, and, and how else, what else will they sleep? And so the cloak was very important. And, and in their law, they had every right to demand, this is my cloak. You can't take my cloak. The Bible says you cannot take my cloak overnight. It's my cloak. I've got rights, God-given rights. And someone falsely sues me, and Jesus says, give them your cloak. Don't stand on your rights. Don't stand puffed up in the name of God declaring how wrong they are and how right you are. How about instead of taking revenge, giving grace? Do you find that spirit in your heart? Do you find the ability in your heart when everything in you is screaming, get even. This is wrong. This is not just. I am being mistreated. Do you find the grace of God in your heart to say, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to give grace instead of trying to take revenge. Jesus says, that's what I do in the heart of my disciples. Number three, third illustration of evil is the person who oppresses you. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, the Jews lived under the oppression of the Roman rulers. That was terribly insulting. It was a terrible experience for them. This is their land, their God-given land. They are in their homeland that God promised their forefathers. They had every right to be there under God's reign and rule and promises. And the word of God said it, but the Romans were over them and oppressing them. And the Roman rulers, by the Roman rule, by the Roman law, could make any citizen carry their stuff. Carry my luggage. What? Don't tell me. Do you know I'm a priest? I can see, I can just see them. Do you know that I'm one of the chief? You're going to tell me to carry your luggage? They made, they made someone carry Jesus' cross. Carry the cross. But apparently they had some level of limits that they could only force the citizens. The Roman law said you could only force the citizens to go so far. And in this case, he says, well, if they tell you to carry it a mile, don't have the attitude, well, I'll carry it a mile, but not an inch further. Jesus says, no, if he tells you to carry it a mile, carry it two miles. Give them grace. Sacrifice for the glory of God. You know what our heart does? If we're honest, we take that verse and go, okay, I'll carry it two miles, but I ain't carrying it an inch further than two miles. And Jesus says, no, you're still missing the point. The point is a new heart filled with the grace of God gives grace instead of taking revenge. So, the person who insults you, the person who falsely accuses you, the person who oppresses you, the person, I just call this, the person who deceives you. Look at verse 42. Remember, these are illustrations of evil. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 
So if these are examples of evil, this is the person who totally scamming, sitting on the same corner every day you head to work with that sign that just breaks your heart. But you've seen them because you're like, every day I'm torn. Do I give to them? Do I not? And you gave them money and you're so worried that you might be taken advantage of. You sit in the corner and you watch them go to the liquor store with your money. You're like, I knew it. Never again will I be suckered by him. Or the person that's borrowed money, and you know they don't deserve it. You know they blow their money. You know they're going to take it. And sure enough, you say, all right, you're going to pay me back. Yeah, you lend them the money, and sure enough, they totally take you to the cleaners, and they don't ever pay you back. You have every right to go to that man on the corner and say, seriously, get a job. You are capable, and you are just mooching off of my hard work. You have every right to say that. You got every right to say to that person who borrowed money if you say, quit scheming people. Get a job, be honest, pay your debts, and cut it out. Jesus says, Do you have anything in your heart? Has this relationship with Jesus done anything in your heart to say, you know what? That's fine. Take it. I forgive you. I give you grace instead of taking revenge. So do you see what Jesus is doing? He's not creating some new utopian society where there is no concern for justice. And if we all just loved, we'd all get along, that that we wouldn't even need police and we wouldn't even need governments. That's eternal life when Jesus is reigning and ruling. Until then, he's saying, yeah, but my disciples don't stand on their rights demanding they get what they deserve and getting revenge. My disciples know how I treat them. My disciples know that while they were sinning against me, I died for them. My disciples know that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross, the way of death, the way of sacrificing one's rights for the glory of God. Jesus himself experienced all of these treatments. He was insulted. He was spat upon. He was beat with the back of their hand. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. They shoved crown of thorns deep into his scalp, causing blood to come forth. They wrapped him in a purple robe, mocking, oh, you say you're the king of the Jews. And what does 1 Peter say about Jesus? 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Do you know God that way? Do you know that God is the just judge? There's nothing wrong with taking comfort. This sounds sinful almost, but it is right and good to take comfort in the future judgment of God on evil. We are not told to not desire justice. God himself opposes evil and will get justice. 
It's just God does that. Leave vengeance to the Lord. We were talking this week in a Bible study that when we do away with the concept of hell, which is a true biblical concept, when we do away with the concept of hell, what we find is we become very mean, angry people because we have to be the ones who execute justice. But God says, leave that to me. I execute justice. So when you're treated unjustly, when you are abused, when your rights are trampled and stomped, he says, You trampled and stomped my rights, but I died to give you forgiveness and grace, and I've empowered you to get victory from bitterness and rage and malice and wrath. And he says, the way of the disciples of Jesus is the way of sacrifice. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of grace and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and love, as we're going to see in the next two weeks. Love your enemies. So all of us have to examine our hearts. These are hard-hitting verses because every one of us knows when I'm done wrong, I want an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, baby. I got rights. And Jesus says, sacrifice your rights to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we ask you for your, your Holy Spirit to to convict us of sin, convict us of righteousness and judgment, that you would convict us, that we would, we would turn and trust you. Lord, I know there are people here who, who have never experienced the forgiveness and the grace that is available to them through Jesus Christ. May you open their eyes to see their need for your grace and your forgiveness by faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I know there are many of us here who needed this word that we are wrapped up with bitterness and rage and anger and and malice and we justify our our hatred and our anger toward others in the name of of justice and getting even and, and what's right. But Lord, you call us to a whole different level, a whole different plane. You empower us having experienced your forgiveness, you empower us to to be forgiving. And having experienced your grace, you call us to give grace. It's something only that can happen supernaturally, Lord. We need your spirit to change our hearts, to soften our hearts, to to teach us a different way, not not an external behavior modification to try to be okay in your eyes, but but by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, make us gracious people. Make us forgiving people. Make us loving people. For your love fulfills your will, your law. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.